All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At close of business, news briefing. Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. This is Simone Grogan with your Monday afternoon headlines. A multi-million dollar leisure and aquatic centre project in Ellenbrook that has sat in limbo and escalated in costs has been nudged by the state government to get a move on. The Ellenbrook Leisure Centre has been in the works for nearly a decade, with the state and federal government initially funding a total of $32 million towards the project. Despite starting construction marked by a sod-turning event in September 2020, the development of the Ellenbrook Leisure Centre was stopped in March 2022. The City of Swan cited rising costs in the construction market and two unsuccessful attempts to secure a contractor through a tender process as reasons for the project's halt. Instead, the City initiated a review into its aquatic facility strategy in March, which remains ongoing. The state government has stepped in with suggestions of its own, with Transport and Planning Minister Rita Safiotti proposing new site locations and a scaled-back design of the facility in December. A site along Mafina Parade in Ellenbrook has been earmarked for the leisure centre, but the state government is proposing for the facility to be built at a site closer to the Metronet line. The City of Swan Council voted to include the state's proposed sites and redesign in its ongoing review of the aquatic facilities strategy at a meeting this month. Ms Safiotti said the proposed facility was ultimately a local government project and that the city of Swan had been given years to deliver. The state and federal governments contributed an additional $5 million each during the previous elections, bringing the total government funding to $42 million. However, the grants would still be a fair way out from the estimated cost of $70 million. The original Ellenbrook Leisure Centre design was estimated to cost $63.5 million, but the figure was updated during a construction procurement process in early 2022. The city's officers said in the report to council that the city would risk losing the grant allocation if it was to proceed with the original design. Ms Safiotti said there would not be expiration dates for the state government grant, but she wanted the facility to be up and operating in two to three years' time. And in other news, after trebling profits following surging oil and gas prices, Woodside Energy Chief Executive Meg O'Neill says the company is in a good place to look at growing its asset portfolio. A combination of additional production and sales from its acquisition of BHP's petroleum assets and strong energy prices helped deliver a US $5.2 billion underlying net profit for Woodside in the 12 months to December 2022. It marks a 223% increase on last year's bottom line. Woodside produced the equivalent of 157.7 million barrels of oil during the period at an average realised price of US $98.40, which helped drive operating revenues up 142% on the prior year to US$16.8 billion. With plenty of cash on hand, Woodside has said it is well positioned for major capital investment through 2023 and 2024, forecasting between US$6 billion and US$6.5 billion in capital expenditure in 2023. Chief Executive Meg O'Neill said it was a momentous year for the company and hinted at expansion plans in the year ahead. She said Woodside was now a larger geographically diverse energy company with a financial and operational strength to grow its portfolio of high-quality assets. Investors will receive a fully franked final dividend of $1.44 per share. Woodside is targeting its first LNG cargo from Scarborough in 2026, while first oil is expected from Sangamar in late 2023. And finally, Pilbara Minerals and its partner POSCO have secured backing from two government-owned banks for their lithium hydroxide refinery being built in Korea at a cost of $1.1 billion. Their joint venture company has agreed to borrow $460 million US million from two Korean government-owned banks. Pilbara Minerals said the loan represented about 60% of the total development and commissioning costs of the 43,000 tonnes per annum lithium hydroxide refinery. 
That implies a total cost of 760 million US dollars or 1.1 billion Australian dollars. By comparison, Covalent Lithium, half-owned by West Farmers, expects to spend about 2.5 billion Australian dollars building a mine and a 45,000 tonnes per annum refinery at Quinana. The Korean deal comes at a time when local miners such as Mineral Resources are calling for more support from the Australian government for downstream processing. It also comes after passage of the US government's Inflation Reduction Act, which includes extensive support for minerals processing projects in that country. Pilbara Minerals said today construction of the Korean refinery is well underway, with commissioning of the first 21,500 tonnes per annum processing train scheduled from late this calendar year. And that's all from me this afternoon. Coming up next on the podcast, Jordan Murray and Claire Tyrrell discuss flexible workspaces. The business world is teeming with opportunities to succeed, and every day is a chance for the ambitious to learn, know and grow. Over recent years, we have built the greatest business journalist team in WA, delivering you the most trusted, comprehensive, intelligent and up-to-date news across every sector, every platform, every day. No fluff, all informative stuff. At Business News, we believe progress boils down to one simple habit. That is, what you subscribe to today shapes what you will become tomorrow. Subscribe to success. Subscribe to Business News. Visit businessnews.com.au forward slash subscribe for more information. Welcome back to our Close of Business. I'm Jordan Murray. Today, joined by senior journalist Claire Tyrrell. Claire, how are you today? Good, thank you. Flexible working space was the focus of the latest property section in the latest edition of Business News, upon which Resources Minister Madeline King graces the cover. Claire, you wrote about a business called Liberty Flexible Workspaces. What was it that was so interesting that made you want to write about them for the property section? I sure did. I spoke to Jamie Vyan, who calls himself the chief liberator for Liberty Flexible Workspaces, which I think is quite a creative title. Uh, What drew me to them was, I've spoken to them in the past, but they've done some really interesting things over the last 12 months, uh, including taking over the floor in Exchange Tower that Victory officers vacated after they went into administration. And people would remember Victory as, you know, they were full of promise when they listed on the ASX in 2019 when they were valued at about $80 And they operated across 21 locations in Australia, including Exchange Tower, where they had a floor of 1,100 square metres. However, things didn't go so well for them and they were pursued by their creditors and eventually went into administration and were wound up subsequently. Uh, Jamie Vine spoke to me about his business model and uh, basically why they're succeeding and, and how they're able to expand. He he noted that the uh, flexible workspace has a big kind of upfront costs and, and, and you've got to kind of back yourself and be willing to charge that extra square metre rate and um, kind of just be confident in the, in the fact that people are demanding flexible workspace. So I, I spoke about some, some research in, into this field and uh, it turns out that the flexible workspace environment doesn't take up much of the market share. It's only, I think it's uh, 3 or 4% in Australia when there are forecasts out there, including by JLL, uh, which say that the space is expected to grow to about 30% by 2030. So that's actually not that far away. No, it isn't. And just in terms of the last few months, you've 
taking a bit of a broad look at flexible workspace providers across uh, Perth, and there's been a bit of a movement on the data and insights list accompanying it. Just give me a bit of uh, flavour to the commentary that you've provided in this latest edition on that sector. I have, Jordan. So Liberty Flexible Workspaces has bumped itself up to number one just. Uh, the major players on that list are, you know, everyone would know this name, WeWork, uh, International Workplace Group as well, who operate the Regis and Spaces brands, to name a few. I spoke to them about what they're doing over at Rain Square, which is Charter Hall's development. They've got a, a beautiful-looking um, flexible workspace over there. And they were great because they also, you know, provided some some research and um, insights into the industry as well. Uh, Space Cubed, everyone would know that name, Brody McCulloch. Turns out he's expanding nationally and that's been his major focus over the last 12 months, which would be why he's bumped down the list in, in WA. However, it doesn't mean he's not a very busy man. He's opening offices in Parramatta in one of Australia's oldest buildings actually I think it's 160 years old it's a beautiful looking heritage building and in Adelaide as well and I believe he's in talks to open in Victoria and possibly Queensland uh, there's definitely a lot happening in this space in terms of liberty it looks like they are expanding all along the terrace they've already got a few CBD locations and uh Perth is is where they'll be staying for the foreseeable future. And amusingly, they only edged out WeWork by four square metres in the end. So (laughs) tight competition for the top spot on that list. To read more on this one, head online now to businessnews.com.au or pick up the latest edition of Business News. Claire, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.